Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to see you guys all here. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to take, I don't know, maybe we're going to spin this series in a little bit a different direction um, than what we've been going. For those of you who have not been here, we're, we've started a series two weeks ago on worship. Was it three weeks ago? Two, we've had two sermons on it, on, what, on worship. <clears throat> and what, what worship is and how do we worship? What does it look like in our lives? And worship has been defined, um, literally means worth-ship. So, and it was described as ascribing the ultimate value to. So what is it that you and I, what is it that our hearts ascribe the ultimate value to? That's the thing that you and I are worshiping. And a heart for worship for God, or worship for God, flows from a heart that grasps the worth of God. And then um, two weeks ago at the outset, um, Tim kind of gave us a working definition of worship that's really, it's really stuck with me because I think it's really, really practical. And he, he said it this way, he said, it's the act of glorifying God in his presence. So what is that act of glorifying God? What does that look like? What does that look like in your life, in my life? What does that look at like in different seasons of our lives? And that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning. Um, last week was was really, really interesting um, because worship, worship is expressed in our lives in so many different ways, right? I mean, how you worship, depending on where you're at, how your day went, it looks different than, than it does for me and how my day went. All those things play into how we worship. And last week, um, we talked about music and dancing. And I don't know if Mennonites dance, but I actually think they do. Where's Matt? I'm going to call Matt out. I saw a picture. Uh, I saw him on Instagram, and he was dancing. So Mennonites do dance. There he comes. Do you want to show us? <laughs> uh, no, it was great. But it's worship is something that flows from our heart, and it's expressed in our bodies. It's an expressed. It, it flows out somewhere, and it's, we show it, we give expression to it somewhere, somehow, in our bodies. And Scripture actually is full of just examples and examples of different ways that we express worship. From hand-raising, to kneeling, to clapping, to bowing our heads, to lifting up our faces, to closing our eyes, to falling down on the ground. All those different ways are expressed, and most of those are found in the Psalms, actually, and that's usually where we turn to when we talk about worship. Um, worship and praise, we often combine those two together, right? And I think, that's, I think that's fitting. But when you think of praise, what do you think about? I want to I hear, give me, give me some, some words. When you hear the word praise or you're going to praise God, what are words that you use to describe that? What comes to your mind? Just shout them out. Don't make me look like a fool up here. Praise the Lord. How does it look for you? Awesome. awesome. I like that. That's awesome. How about rejoicing, happy, um, gratitude, all those things that flow. Um, it's really a joyful, kind of a joyful thing um, that flows from our hearts. <clears throat> but there's another aspect of worship that we don't talk about very much. And that's the one we're going to look at this morning. Um, 
And we talked about, so worship is all throughout the Psalms. Praise is all throughout the Psalms. So there's 150 Psalms in Scripture. 50, at least 50 of those, and maybe even a few more, depending, depending how you look at it, are what we call Psalms of Lament. And so I'm gonna, we're going to explore this morning what does lament look like in worship. Now, it's much more fun to talk about the happy stuff, but you know what? Life isn't always that way. So what, do, what does worship look like in your life, in my life, when we're in lament? So what's lament? Or in the wilderness, I guess. <clears throat> this is just my definition of lament. It's giving voice to the pain of your heart. And that can be verbally, it can be privately, it can be publicly, it can be written. Sometimes journaling is the best way to get that out of your system. But it's expressing, and I I think this is important, it's expressing to God. It's expressing to God the questions, the frustrations, and the confusion that you're feeling in your life when you're in the midst of the wilderness. And the Psalms, like I said, the Psalms are full of laments. Um, and oftentimes, when you read through some of the Psalms of lament, they're very raw, really, really raw. Sometimes they kind of make us squirm a little bit because of how raw they are in how the psalmists pour out their frustrations and their questions, their confusion to God. But think about it a little bit. If we would just take our churchiness out of us ourselves a little bit, and think about why in the world wouldn't you simply tell someone who already knows what you're thinking anyway? Why wouldn't you just tell him? He already knows what you're th- feeling, what you're thinking, so why don't not express that to God? <clears throat> so we are going to look at a psalm here in just a little bit, but um, before we get there, maybe I'll just share a little bit of a, an experience that happened to me a couple weeks ago. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about triggers? Not the kind of thing that you use to shoot guns, but something that triggers something deep within you, right? You hear something, or you read something, you even, maybe it's a smell, and it brings something back, right? Um, Often, or they can be, triggers can be a good thing. Sometimes I had to think of um, like a smell or a scent Sometimes it can take you back to your grandma's house or you name it, whatever it is. Um, So it can be a good thing. But often I think triggers are things that you hear someone say or something that you read just in a sentence and immediately it takes you back to a time in your life when something painful happened and you can feel exactly what you felt in that moment, right? Right? It's not like it's just some vague thing. It just it takes you right there and you, you feel it intensely sometimes. And that can take us back as many as, I don't know, it can go five days, it can go five years, it can go 50 years. And you can just, you can march right back to that place. So, I'll just, I'll, I guess I'll tell you what, I, what triggered something in me. And I told Marcus before this service, maybe this, this disqualifies disqualifies me from preaching the message, but I was reading the book that we're going through that kind of accompany our message, and I read a section in there, a story that was related to it, and 
it triggered something, and I threw that book across the room in anger. I didn't even want to go back to that book again. It, it, was, just, it was just this incident caught me off guard. I was like, what in the world is going on? So anyway, so it stirred up something deep within me. It triggered something. So when something gets triggered in our hearts, it's an indicator. Okay, what's going on? Just like our emotions are like an instrument panel for us, right? They indicate something that's going on in our hearts. Um, so it's like, okay, God, what's going on? What, what happened here? And it kind of goes in with this whole idea of lament and worship. And that there's two psalms that we're going to be looking at. Actually, one psalm and then just one verse from the other psalm. But you, at the outset, the two psalms look almost as opposite as you can make them, as different day and night in how they feel. And yet, as I, as I read them and I read them and I read them, there were pieces that uniquely tie it together. And it makes them almost inseparable because both of them, I believe, show us a piece of what worship is. So, turn to Psalm 88. When you talk about lament psalms, almost all the psalms of lament, they, they kind of go through a cycle. So you begin with, often it's, um, it can be remember. Remember, God, what you did in the past. And then crying out, God, where are you now? Why don't you show up? Do what you did in the past here. And then there's often this transitional point of but. And then you return to hope and you return to trust in God. And then you get to Psalm 88. So listen, listen to this guy, Heman, as he writes. He says, O oh oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow." Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Darkness has become my closest friend. 
What do you do with that? That is dark. How does that relate to worship? Have you ever found yourself in Psalm 88? Has that ever been you? I would suggest that probably each one of us have times in our lives when we find ourselves here, when it looks like there's no way out. And so how, what does worship look like when you find yourself in Psalm 88? <clears throat> have you ever experienced unanswered prayers in your life? Have you ever had seasons in your life where everything around you seemed dark and God was completely silent? What does worship look like in that moment? It appears as though God has forgotten you. And as we look at lament this morning, I hope we can see lament takes us on a journey. It takes us on a journey to discover what God's greatest desire is. And it takes us on a journey of discovering what man's greatest need is. And so that's what one or leads me kind of the thing that was triggered in my heart. So I, what happened, so I read a story, and God miraculously answered a prayer. And you fall on your knees and you praise God. And absolutely you should. Why did that make me throw the book? Does it always happen that way? Have you had unanswered prayers in your life? It took me back about 11 years ago when my father-in-law was killed in an accident. And a lot of you know his story. For 18 years, people had been crying out to God for his soul, for his salvation. I was like, for what? Now he's gone. And in that next year of life, I think we're probably some of the darkest times that we ever walked through. And I'm telling you this not to draw attention to the story that what we went through But we all find ourselves in that place sometimes, okay? And it felt so many times during that next year, you just begin to get your feet under you again. You'd begin to get up off the ground, and something would come and we'd just get knocked flat again. Over and over and over. The only light, you've heard that phrase, at the end of the tunnel was an oncoming train. And every time you started moving towards light, you just get pummeled again. And you, found, you, found, you find yourself in those moments, you find yourself in Psalm 88. And what does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? What about your loved one who's walked away from God? Your son, your daughter, your father? What about the message you get when the cancer's returned? You've got a month to live. What about the barren parent or barren couple who remain barren, who never have their children? But in all that, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? Because God does heal people. He grants us our prayer requests, okay? So I'm not 
saying, don't stop. We need to. And when God answers those prayers, when he heals someone from cancer, when he brings back a wayward child, we should fall on our knees in gratitude. We should cry out and, and rejoice. So don't hear me. I'm not saying that. But life hits a square between the eyes sometimes, and we have to face the reality of that. And what does worship look like when I find myself there? <clears throat> Michael Card does some, some tremendous teaching on lament. And like I said, lament takes us on a journey of discovering that the questions that we are asking, the things that we're praying for, are pointing us to the greatest need of our heart. Michael Card says it this way, What I ask for in prayer is almost never what I really need. And what we discover is that God gives himself as the answer to our questions in the midst of the wilderness and the darkness. And again, Michael Card says, God's deepest desire is for intimacy with his people. Our greatest need as people is for intimacy with God. And so God's deepest desire meets our deepest need. And in the wilderness, I believe, is where we find that the journey that it takes us on. Michael Card even goes so far as to say that true worship begins in the wilderness, in those dark times. Job is a perfect example of it. Um, and we, don't, we know the story of Job. Job 1, he starts out, he's this great godly man. He's got everything. Everything in life is working, right? But by the end of chapter 1, all ten of his children are gone. All his wealth is gone. His stature in the community, his position, everything he has had is stripped away from him. And you read through the next 30-some chapters, you hear Job's laments, Job's questions, his confusion, and he voices that to God. And he got, goes so far as um, lamenting the day he was born. I mean, it sounds a lot like Psalm 88, actually. Um, it's just an incredibly dark time in his life. And, and along with that, those seasons in the wilderness are always different, different lengths of time. It's never, it can never be just a day. It may be a year. It may be several years. You can never put a time frame on it I think for yourself, but also for someone else. When you see someone else who's in that wilderness experience or in that deep grief and suffering, you can't put a time frame on. It's like, okay, now, Basuf, get over it. I don't, that's not healthy. That wilderness is where we ask the hard questions. But what amazes me in Job's life, in chapter 42, I'm sorry, 38, God shows up and God begins to speak to Job. But what does he say? Does he answer any of Job's questions? Uh-uh. He doesn't even address the questions that Job has been asking. He completely ignores all those questions. But God shows up and he speaks to Job. Actually, he asks Job tons of questions for the next four chapters. And come to chapter 42 when Job finally has the opportunity to respond to God, what was his response? He said, My ears had heard about you, but now I have seen you. You see, I think God gives himself as the answer 
to Job's questions. That is what he was longing for the most. And you read at the end, kind of as an afterthought, that Job gets, he has ten children again, he's got double all his livestock, etc. But I think this is the point when Job's life begins to turn because God gives himself to Job as an answer. So in Psalm 88, you see, you see a guy like Job. Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe I've been there. Maybe you know someone. Probably you know someone who is there if you know it, realize it or not. But the reason what makes chapter 88, Psalm 88 so difficult is because it ends in despair. There's no light at the end of the tunnel even. What do you do with that? I don't know. I, perhaps it's written to us because that's what it feels like when you're in the middle of the wilderness. It doesn't look like there's a way out. And yet, as, as I read this psalm over and over and over again, there's a couple things that we can pull from this that I think give a glimmer of hope. And in the midst of all his crying out here in Psalm 88, his utter despair, if you will, he gives us a hint of what his heart desires the most, what he needs the most. So what's your response in worship and my response in worship when we're in, those, where we're, when we're in the Psalm 88 moment? The first thing I see is give voice to the pain and the frustration. It's easy for us to stuff it because, you know what, Christians shouldn't talk like this to God, right? But we heard it here, and I remember the first time I heard it years ago, the depth of, the, the depth of joy that we're able to experience is equal to the depth of the pain that we allow ourselves to feel. And I think lament, giving voice to the pain and the suffering, is what gives us the ability the ability to hold on to our faith when we're in the middle of that darkness. Second thing is don't stop crying out to God. And that's one of the, one of the uh, I, I guess I'd call it a bright spot in this psalm. Verse 2, you see it. Incline your ear to my cry. Verse 9, every day I call upon you. Verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 13, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Don't stop crying out to God. Jerry Sitzer um, writes a book. His book, the book's called When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer. And in that book he he makes the statement that the chief failure of prayer is the cessation or the just quitting of prayer. So I think God would much rather have us at a place where we wrestle with him, where we take him to task, if you will, on the things that we're feeling and that we're going through, the wilderness that we're experiencing. Take it to God. Be real with him. I don't think God wants plastic Christians or robotic Christians who just do it because that's what we're we're told to do. God, I believe, is honored when we wrestle with him. And at it reminded me of that the definition for worship is the act of glorifying God in his presence. I think when we wrestle with God through those difficult times, we worship. 
It's a, or it's a part of our worship. And then in verse 14 of chapter 88, Psalm 88, I think he reveals what the heart's deepest need is. And he says, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Because the hardest thing when you're in that wilderness and in that darkness is feeling like God has forgotten you. That's what Job's biggest battle was, I believe. His biggest frustration is, God, where are you? And so for God to show up, for God's, or God's, he's always present, but for God to make his presence known in a unique way is what our hearts desire and long for the most. And I think perhaps when we find ourselves there, or when we know of someone who is in that Psalm 88 time of life, one of the best ways that we can pray for them is that God would make his presence felt for that person. I just I heard a story recently. A pastor who was on his deathbed, he was dying, he had a couple less than a week to live. And he was in his room, hospital room by himself, crying out to God in lament, just giving voice to the pain, the frustration that he was feeling. And he said he felt a presence enter into the room. It was, a, it was real enough that he thought it was the nurse. But in that communication, in that, in that time when the presence, and it was God's presence coming into the room in a unique way, and he said that when he felt or realized that that presence was leaving, the cry changed from, why am I in this place, to, God, you don't have to heal me, just don't leave me. I think that's the cry, that's the need, the deepest need of every heart that we feel. And one of the things to hold on to in hope when we're in that time is we have a God, we have a Savior on the cross who felt that exact thing. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, lament Psalm, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, conclusion. <clears throat> Psalm 88. How does that, how does it, what does that have to do with worship? Well, I would suggest to us this morning that lament should be a part of our worship. I think it's what we have to offer to God when we're in that wilderness, in that darkness, and in that suffering. And one of the things, so um, I, I want to talk about just a couple of postures in worship. And I see one here in Psalm 88, and then two in Psalm 95, 6, just to wrap it up. Psalm 88, verse 9, it says, Every day I call upon you, O Lord, and he says, I spread out my hands to you. I think that's his hands being spread out are an expression of something that's going on in his heart. And I... To me, I read that it could be, is a frustration like, where are you? I don't know. It could be. But I'm reading this morning, I want to suggest this this morning, that, that his hands spread out is a declaration of faith. It is a posture of surrender and a posture of trusting God. Like, I don't get it. I hate being here, but I trust you. It's a posture of gratitude that God hears my cry for help, that he will make his presence known. 
It's that time when you're living in a fog where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, much less know where you're going. What we have is God's hand to hold on to, and that's it. And we hold on in faith, and that spreading out of your hands is that holding on to His hand because that's all we've got in that moment. Psalm 95.6, it leads us um, this, this lament, this worship of bringing our pain and our suffering that aspect of worship, it, it, it comes, when our hearts are in that place, it comes out, it gives expression. Like all our worship does, it gives expression, our bodies give expression to what our hearts are feeling. And so the spreading out of the hands, and then Psalm 95, 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. I love the broad spectrum of expression that we experience in worship, from lament, spreading out our hands in surrender, from, from tears of joy, from tears of sorrow, to music, to dance, and we'll hear more from shouting and praise, from clapping, and then in the 95.6, from bowing down, and it literally means to prostrate yourself on the ground. And I think that is the essence of worship it's a posture of humility and brokenness where there's no room for ego, there's no room for self. Self is gone and it's, it's God that you're focusing on. When God opens our eyes to who we are and to who He is, I believe that becomes our natural response. I think this was Job's response when God showed up and spoke to him. When he said, I've seen you, he says, I repent in dust and ashes that dust and ashes simply meant, uh, represents its brokenness, its humility, its emptiness. It's a posture of one's heart that becomes an outward expression. And I hope you in your life, at points in your life, you find yourself in that posture of down on your face before God. Because you see Him for who He is. And then the second one was to kneel kneel very closely associated with bowing down. It's falling on your knees in adoration and thanksgiving. And so I, I do like the book that we're going through, by the way, and I have picked it up again, and I am reading it. Um, but it was just, it was one of those moments. But there's a, they give a description of this um, kneeling down that I think truly captures the heart of worship. And that's where I want to, I just want to close with that. The word, the Greek word, is barak, if you will. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but say it this way, barak embodies the notion of kneeling before God, of blessing and adoring Him, of recognizing one's position in relation to Him. And I think that really captures the heart of worship when we grasp the relation of our position and who God is um, there's a word Michael Card talks about a lot, and it actually shows up in Psalm 88, um, steadfast love. It's, it's, it's the, basically it's the character of God, hasad or hased, something like that is, is the Greek word. And you can describe it as the one who owes me nothing has given me any, everything. And that's grace. When grace truly grips our heart, the posture of our worship, becomes real, and we find the freedom to express it, and it'll be expressed in so many different ways. It's different for all of us. 
but we find the freedom to give expression to it. Thanks for your attention. Um, I invite you to stand. We'll have dismissal prayer. God, this morning, thank you that you're big enough and you love us enough to hear our frustrations, to hear our questions and our confusion. Thank you that you're big enough that we can bring it to you, we can pour it out to you. God, thank you most of all, God, or so much that you give yourself to us. Lord, we'll probably live this whole life with questions sometimes that we'll never have answered But God, when your presence is with us, and that's our cry this morning, is just don't leave us. Just stay with us. Be with us. Make that real to each of us today. That no matter what we're going through, whether it's happy, joyful, great, or it's brokenness, it's sorrow, it's despair, that right there you're with us. That's the greatest gift that we could ever ask for. Just make that real to us here today. Dismiss us with your blessing, God. In Jesus' name, amen.